Welcome to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by Dare to Dream, the show dedicated to fun, practical mental performance strategies for your golf game. Join mental performance coach Jamie Glazier and co-host Ross Flanagan as they discuss how to manage your mind in one of the craziest sports there is. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. Once again, on behalf of myself, Roscoe Flanagan, your co-host, and Jamie Glazier, who's sitting virtually in front of me here on the computer, thank you once again for joining us. Do appreciate all of your support, questions, feedback, everything that you've been giving to us. We really do appreciate it. Jamie Glazier, good morning. How are you, sir? Roscoe, I'm very well, thank you. And yourself? I'm excellent. I'm excellent sitting here at... uh, uh, golf Retail HQ, mate, and uh, ready for a big day and no better way to get it started than a chat to yourself about the art of putting. I don't know if that's the right way to frame it, but uh, we had the Art of Amnesia episode, which was a, a really, really popular episode from uh, the last episode. So I'm going to call this the Art of Putting, and it certainly is a very popular topic, and I'm looking forward to talking to it. But how have you been, mate? How, how's your week been? We didn't get a game of golf in together, but we did get a game of golf in this week. How was that? Yeah, no, but uh, week's been good. Uh, I had a game Wednesday morning first off uh, in the dark, um, and uh, yeah, I, I actually played uh, reasonably solid. Had my thirty-six points, and uh, as everyone will know who's tuned into the podcast, if you ever play to your handicap, that is a good thing. So it's uh, it's an occurrence that doesn't happen too often. Although my last two rounds have been forty points and thirty-six points, I have performed well above my expectation and my average. So um, no, it was it's always great to get out there. Forty points and thirty-six points in some golfing circles—that is considered to be on fire. Yes, well, well done. I, f- I felt like it to be honest. No, but I well- only had one shank. <laughs> Uh, and I guess you throw that in there for the benefit of Lucas Herbert, who may still be listening in, and because uh, he does like to have uh, control over your hole-in-one and shank count. So, uh, Herbie, yeah. if you are listening, um, thank you very Pick much once again. <laughs> uh, well, it's very good, mate. Uh, yeah, it's always hard, those uh, early morning starts in, when, when it's still dark, effectively. Uh, yeah. I, you're, I know you're an early morning golfer, so that's not the problem, but when it's still dark, that is, that is an issue, and I believe you might have had a little issue in relation to uh, darkness on the first hole. Yeah, well... Two of us hit off down the first north at Peninsula and uh, Footy, who plays off plus three, hit an iron down there. I hit three wood. I felt like I might have blocked it a fraction. Um, we get down there and we couldn't find either ball. So, um, so yeah, the hazards of playing in the dark. But, uh, again, it was, you know, I wasn't going to let something like that uh, have an impact on, on my enjoyment for the day and then uh, and ultimately, without me even thinking about it, let it have an impact on, on my score. Yeah, it is, it is something that uh, is a challenge when you do want to get those early tee times. But once again, it's just another element that you have to work past and work through and put out your mind and just execute the shot. I get it. I played golf uh, a couple of hours behind you. Once again, I went out with a bit of a personal project trying to have that wipe-free round and I'm you know sort of maybe realising now that that may or may not be the right way for me to approach my, my golf at the moment. But it's given me something to, to set my target around and you know once again in my post-COVID approach to my golf, I am trying to change it up a little bit and be more focused and rather than just turning up and, you know, turning up you know late or not turning up fully prepared, I'm trying to just make that conscious effort to be fully prepared. I was prepared enough and uh, yeah, I, I, I'm 
seeing the positive signs. I did have a wipe, unfortunately, but uh, I come away from that round knowing why I had a wipe. I, I know that I had a loss of uh, concentration, which contributed to that. But I was able to bounce back and you know, took a lot of positives out of it. Still not quite 36 points. I haven't had the 40 and 36 that you have. But you know, finishing off with uh, birdie, birdie is always a great way to finish a round of golf. To take the uh, the, the the win in our little pairs two v two match, uh, that was a that was a really positive for me. To finish off with two birdies on the 17th and 18th North at Peninsula is uh, that's okay. I'll take that. Yeah. yeah, very good. And I think too, you know, an interesting point around your your focus point for the day of of not having a wipe. It's as we've sort of discussed on this podcast, it's always great to go out and have a have a focus point, have something that you're focusing on, and if it be one or two things maximum, then that's great. The good thing about that is too is we we get a, to understand what impact that focus point had on our performance. And we might have mentioned the other day when we were chatting about if we set that goal of not having a wipe, that can trigger us to play in a more conservative state mm. where we're playing away from having a wipe as opposed to playing towards, uh, you know, commitment, confidence, um, whatever it might be. So it's just interesting to have these focus points and then sit back after the round and, and ask yourself, what impact did that goal have on my performance? And, you know, playing timidly is something that we, we're we all aware of at times. It's never a fun state to play in, but, um, you know, a goal of, you know, not having a three-part or not having a wipe can trigger that, timidness in our performance but um yeah so look it's uh you know that's why we love this game and why we have this podcast is because there's so many different things to to digest and dissect and um yeah it's good fun well i I mentioned there the hole that i did have the wipe on now it was all started by a poor drive which was i guess uncharacteristic for me but it was a, a drive into the bracken chop out blah 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 but it's relevant to today's topic in putting because it was essentially a four-putt, and I'm big enough yeah. to say that it was a four-putt that uh, created the wipe, yeah. but uh, it was putting, and yeah. we're talking about the art of putting, and you know what happened was I just lost total focus and concentration in that moment yeah. and gave myself a few excuses around that, well, a three-putt's okay because yeah, so, yeah. I'm, I'm still going to score from here on this particular hole, which is the hardest hole, and it was just obviously a disastrous way to approach that. So let's yeah. talk about the art of putting. You know, we've got yeah. eight key points here, which, you yeah. know, I think if uh, once you articulate, you know, the value and the benefit of understanding these points and, and yeah. maybe some tips and, and strategies on, on how you might uh, improve those points that relate to you, I think they're going to yeah. provide tremendous value to the listeners. And, um, you yeah. know, once again, another reason to keep tuning into the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. Yeah. So let's yeah. let's get into it. The first point that we've got here to discuss is what you've termed impact control and impact anxiety. Now I've got a fair understanding of what you mean by impact anxiety, and that might be you know that dreaded term that I don't even like to say, uh, let alone hear. It's called the yips, but we have to talk about it and we have to put it out there. What is yeah. what is that all about, mate? Yeah, I think it's been interesting through all the years of uh, of doing this and working with golfers on their putting. I've sort of narrowed it down to sort of two main sort of elements uh, that have an impact on their performance and that is you know the impact control which is steering so a lot of golfers will know steering from uh, more full swing uh, full shot stuff um, where we steer it and impact anxiety is yeah definitely that that yips which is that stress and anxiety through impact and we get that brace response so the impact control element is 
are often triggered by poor mechanics that the, the putter has to sort of make adjustments through the impact zone because of poor path or or whatever it might be. So a lot of the times the impact control stuff can be mechanics related, but also uh, a lot of it is that our focus and attention is on the golf ball, on our putter, or trying to bring the putter face back to square. So if people use lines on a ball, that can trigger that little bit of impact control where they're trying to square the putter up to that line and that just disengages them with the target, with the hole, with with their external attention, what they're trying to do with the putt. So, you know, they're the two main, I suppose, patterns that uh, I've sort of noticed through the years from a mental point of view when it comes to putting. And obviously the impact anxiety is all it is is impact control then applied or, or attached with some stress and anxiety, some fear, some worry, concern, and that just causes that real stress and brace response through that impact zone. Is that something we can train away from? You know, the, the yips is a pretty you know, catastrophic um, thing to happen for a, for a golfer of any level, and it can happen at any level. Is, is that something that mentally we can, we can be trained out of? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And it's when we go through some of these other points, people will start to, to understand why they have those patterns and from a, a mental or a neurological point of view, what we need to do to be able to get out of them. And, and you know, the, the next point we want to speak about is how 70% of our brain's processing is driven from the eyes. So what happens in golf is our eyes are focusing on the golf ball during performance. So if 70% of our brain's processing is driven from our eyes, it's so easy for us to become, you know, conscious through that impact zone. Our mind's attention is focused on the ball um, because, you know, that's that's where that brain processing comes from. So that's why little exercises or processes like closing your eyes when we putt and also looking out at the hole when we putt has such a positive impact on impact control and impact anxiety is because of that uh, that pattern of our eyes having such a, a dramatic impact on what our brain is processing. Yeah. It's certainly something that I know in the past and, you know, before we were golfing together that I've certainly found myself trying, you know, the looking yeah. at the whole putting drills, the, the, the putting with uh, my eyes closed. And, you know, one takeout from doing that, I, I will remember that, always remember that it's always been quite effective. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's been one of the strategies and, and it's not something that I've ever committed to long term, but when I have done that, and you've reminded me that I probably should incorporate that into part of my routine, part of yeah. my practice, it's been yeah. really, really effective. So then eyes closed, that's another topic that comes up uh, when we talk about putting and we've just mentioned it then, looking yep. at the hole helps improve performance. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Yep. Yeah, so it's an interesting one. With So when we close the eyes, we basically take away that, that brace response and impact, that impact control, which is the steering of the putter face. So... Um, just because basically the eyes, you know, are switched off and we're not able to see when, you know, impact is going to occur. So we really detach from that that response, that brace response through impact. And then looking at the hole, again, when we're looking at the hole, all the brain is processing and all the brain is thinking about is the hole. We're, we're possibly starting to tap into a little bit of the right brain, the visual concept of, of seeing the ball go in the hole when our eyes are out there. 
The other thing is that our eyes are fixed and still on a point, okay? So we sort of call that process that quiet eye process, which we'll talk about later. But again, the brain, when our eyes are out of the hole, the eyes are sending a signal to the brain of, of, of that's where we want to hit the ball. Mm. Okay, so then we just, everything we do is focusing on performing to that point. It's no different to a basketballer shooting a free throw. You know, a basketballer doesn't look at the ball or doesn't focus on their hands during the motion of, of shooting. They look at the rim, so a spot at the back of the rim or a spot at the front of the rim and they have their eyes gazed and fixed on that point. So they're not looking at the, at the ball or, or their hand. And unfortunately with golf, that's one of the reasons why golf is such a mental game is our eyes are focused on the ball during performance, not out on the, the field of play. Is there any value or have you have had any experience, I'm sure you have, with your elite athletes looking at like micro targets, like, you know, like, the, the little bit of grass on the edge of the hole and where you want, you know, at 7 o'clock or 9 o'clock or wherever you want it to fall in? Is that something yeah, that's yeah. related to, to doing that? Yeah, definitely. It was funny. I had a session the other day with a client from the US and he was just talking about when he gets over the putt, he has one look at the hole and only one look. He used to take three quick looks, but when we spoke about that quiet eye process, he, he just took one longer look at the hole and he would sort of imagine the ball falling in at a certain point of the hole, so 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. And when he saw that ball sort of imagining that ball falling in, he would blink. And the blink would be associated with uh, someone taking a photo. So he would sort of blink and take a snapshot of the ball just falling in the hole. And then as he brought his eyes back to the ball, his mind would reimagine that image that he took a snapshot off. And then once he created that connection to that image, that was his trigger to just hit the putt. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a really just a, a, a cool way of helping him to create connection to that that micro point, that, that specific little target, and um, that really helped to free him up and just react more to the target as opposed to, to trying to control the putter. It sort of leads into the next uh, topic that we've got on here is focus. Now, when I think about focus and you know, how we talk about it as a visual or, or a mental focus um, perspective. You know, I start to think about people's modalities, you, you know, and, and are they visually oriented? Do they see things yeah. and prefer to, you know, act in a way where it's more visual or yeah. are they a little bit more um, kinesthetic. An, kinesthetic or analytical? And, and that, that sort of comes to mind. You know, does that have any relevance when we're talking about visual focus and mental focus and the relationship of those? Yeah, it does. Um, you know, the intro, I had, again, a couple of sessions yesterday I had with clients where uh, it was more working around short game, but the same applies for putting, is with short game stuff, they were trying to really see the ball fly and see the shot, and they found it difficult to see the shot. But when we broke it down, they were very kinesthetic dominant. They were more field players. So they were actually using or trying to access the visual uh, modality prior to feeling. So what I said was, you don't, as a, as a field dominant player, you don't worry about visual. Don't worry about trying to see the shot. Just connect with what the shot feels like. And then once you do that, you, you will get a chance to possibly see the shot more. But if you don't see it, it doesn't really matter because you're a field dominant person. As long as you can feel it, the rest will, will sort of, will happen. But also the rest will be 
fluid. It will be sometimes you'll be able to see it, sometimes you won't. But that doesn't mean you you won't be able to hit a good shot. So, um, in regards to the two forms of focus that we put here, one is the visual focus, which is not a visualization. It's more of our eyes, what our eyes are focused on, that's the visual focus. And again, as we go back to 70% of the brain's processing is driven from the eyes, what our eyes do in performance is extremely important. But then there's the mental focus, which is what our mind is focused on. So just because our eyes are focused on the ball, it doesn't mean our mind needs to be focused on the ball. We need to be able to create that separation and we call it covert attention, basically just our eyes are focused on the ball, but our mind is focused somewhere else, that covert hidden attention. So, you know, for for putting performance especially, it's really important that when our eyes are focused on the ball during performance, that our mind is focused on something else, that we do train our mind's attention to be somewhere else. Now, if that is uh, a tracing, you know, along the path to the hole, if that's the ball going in the hole, that is really crucial because it has such a positive impact on our putting performance and our putting mechanics. Um, again, because of the 70% of the brain's processing is driven from the eyes, a lot of the times when we go through impact and the ball and putter sort of obviously connect and the ball shoots off the putter face, if our eyes are activated, it's very easy for us to follow the ball and we get our head moving during that impact zone. What we've found through the years is when we have our mind's attention out of the hole, that mental focus disconnected, when we actually go through the putting, uh, that impact position, our head stays nice and quiet. So it's a really interesting one. We got Herbie on um, Sam Putlab a few years ago and we actually created this coin drill and uh, uh, and when he does that, his, his head stays really nice and quiet and his path stays very consistent. But prior to that, his, his eyes would want to sort of connect a little bit earlier in the, in, the, in the putting stroke and his path was a bit inconsistent. And um, so although it's a mental pattern, it does have a positive impact on, on mechanics as well. So working with Herbie there and all your other athletes, you know, talking about eye and quiet eye, yep. help us understand what quiet eye and are there any drills or any techniques that we can impart in our game on a week-to-week basis that might help with that and just understand yep. that a bit better? Yeah. So basically quiet eye is the concept of our eyes gazing or focusing on a point for a longer period of time. Now, the longer our eyes are focused on a point, the quieter our mind is, okay? And again, because of that relationship between uh, brain processing and, and our eyes, if our eyes are gazing on one point, then we are reducing the amount of information the brain's got to process. So uh, a psychologist in the US and neuroscientist years ago, Joan Vickers, actually did a, a study on quiet eye about how sort of the, some of the, the top elite athletes in the world their eyes were gazing at a point for an extended period of time before performance where an average elite uh, athlete, their eyes were jumping from point to point. So, um, you know, drawing a little a dot on the ball and when your eyes come back to the ball, focusing on that single dot, that's really good to help your eyes lock in and gaze on a point. It's then that we can create that covert attention. 
eyes locking on a point, then your mental, your mind's attention, your mental focus goes out to the target. So basically what we try to do is instead of having two or three looks out at the hole or four looks out at the hole, have one longer extended look at the hole. That will help you to create that really stronger visual connection to that to that target or as Austin, uh, you know, put in his session the other day, just take that snapshot so that when your eyes come back to the ball, you can, again, gaze at the ball for one or two seconds but take your time to create a connection back out to that target. So, yeah, that quite-eye process of less is more um, really helps to reduce that that brain processing, that brain activity and help to create more of a calmer sort of engaged state. I think that once some of the listeners will get onto the putting green and just have a bit of a self-reflection and assessment and take some of these points and put it into place. I think that quiet eye is going to be super valuable because it doesn't take too long to realise that as an amateur, you know, your eyes can be jutting all around the place. Yeah. And uh, once, you, once you're aware of it, it, yeah. it certainly is a way to help you, you know, calm that sort of eye yeah. anxiety around, you know, eye anxiety. It's a, it's a thing, I guess. Um, yeah. One of the best putters and players that you and I both know and I've played with uh, extensively, Mike Ferroni, um, a yeah. good friend of ours, he, he uses exactly that technique. He uses the dot on the ball. I remember talking yeah. to him about, why don't you put a line on the ball, Faz? You know, he uses yeah. a Scotty Cameron blade with a yeah. with no line on it. He just puts a dot on it, and he articulates yeah. it exactly that way. He's one yeah. of the best putters that I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And one of the drills that, that you know, people can actually start to, to put into practice, it's a really simple drill. Um, you put a small coin underneath your ball okay so this is from five feet 10 feet 20 feet it doesn't matter where but start from five feet and put the coin underneath the ball as you're standing over the putt looking at the ball you look out at the hole and look at it for a good two seconds take it in bring your eyes back to the ball and i want you to imagine the coin underneath the ball okay then once you've got that imagination, I want you to then create that connection. So you take your mind's attention back out to the hole. Okay, once you've got your mind's attention back out to the hole, you hold your focus there for three seconds. Okay, so you can even say in your mind, uh, once you've taken your mind attention back to the hole, you can say hold, hold, hold. And once you've done that, then you go, then you just pull the trigger and you hit the putt. And what you'll notice is, your mind's attention has got a really strong connection to the hole, and as the ball leaves the putter, uh, leaves the, the, the coin, your eyes will just be focused and gazed on the coin. Okay, your eyes will not want to move with the ball. Okay, and that's because we've been able to separate the visual focus and the mental focus. Once we do that, we actually switch the eyes off from functioning. Mm. It's almost like you can't even see the ball. Okay, so that's a really good drill that I get players to do. I, I, I do a three-ball drill where it's called three, two, one, where the first ball you hold the focus on the target for three seconds. Second ball is you hold it on the target for two seconds. Third ball is you hold it on the target for one second. And the three and the two is just taking that mental muscle to the gym. It's just adding a little bit of resistance to strengthen that muscle in your mind to connect to the target. The one process is actually a process that I like a lot of my clients to do out on course as their that's their mental their mental process, their their mental routine during putting. Yeah, right. 
Oh, there you go, everybody. There's a couple of great drills that you can just take out straight away and put into practice. And uh, there you go. That's the value of tuning in. Thank you very much. Mate, so there's some drills and some concepts and some, you know, real-life beneficial examples. What about when we talk about expectations and attitudes, uh, you know, in in relation to putting and putting performance? Uh, Because that's probably where I fell down the other day in my little goal of a a, a wipe-free round. I just let my attitude and my expectations sort of get blurred. How do do we understand that and how do we, you know, really develop a strong sense around expectation and attitudes on the green? Yeah, look, it's a, it's it's such a good point because, you know, expectations um, for club level golfers is is a lot more out of whack than it is for the elite player or the professional. Um, more more in regards to the fact that elite players and professionals have access to to information to data. They look it up um, where club golfers don't really look it up. But when we look at statistics. Um, and what is your percentage make rate from five feet, you know, 20 feet, 10 feet? It's it's very important to understand that if you've got a 12-foot putt as a club-level golfer that might practice their putting once a week, you, your make rate from 12, from 12 feet is going to be well below 25%. Mm. You know, it's going to be something around – I don't have the stats in front of me. I, I probably – should have them here somewhere, but I am looking for the the actual image that I have, but I can't find it at the moment. It's going to be well below sort of, you know, when I say 25%, it's going to be well below 10% for a club-level golfer. So, you know, expectation management is around understanding what is my current reality. You know, what, as a 15-foot putt, you know, your average number of putts from 15 feet is going to be over two not under two. Mm. So if you two putt from 15 feet, that's a really great outcome. And if you've got a 40-foot putt, your percentage three putt from 40 feet is actually pretty decent. It's about maybe 15% of the time from 40 feet you might three putt. So, you know, when people go out there as a club-level golfer and say, my goal today is not to have a three putt, that's a little bit unrealistic. That's that's putting a lot of pressure on themselves not to three putt when – you know, you're going to find yourself in positions during a round of golf where the likelihood of a three-putt is quite a bit higher than, than a two-putt. So, but that's just the reality of, of the situation. So I think expectation management is a really important one for club-level golfers to just give themselves a little bit of, you know, cut themselves a little bit of slack. Um, two-putts are great. Uh, had a, a, a session with a client yesterday about... He said the best putter on the Corn Ferry Tour uh, had 23% of their putts they left short of the hole. That's not going to win you too many tournaments, uh, but... Uh, but he's the best, know, putter, the best on putter on the Corn Ferry Tour. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so it's, you know, we have this ingrained belief that if we leave a putt short, you know, that's a failure from any distance. And that's just, that doesn't have any impact on performance at all. So using my example where clearly, you know, these, this mindset got in the way of performance, you know, where yeah. I'd, I'd also all, all but give myself permission to three-putt yeah. and it just turned into a four-putt. You know, what's, where does that sort of fit into what we're talking about here? Is, is that attitude versus expectations? You know, I had, 
low expectations because I, I was almost like giving myself permission to three putt to get a point to, to move on because yeah. you know the previous three shots had been average. Yeah, and it turned into a four putt, and it, it was like I knew that it was coming, and yeah. it was crazy in hindsight and just a really very very poor mistake from a four handicapper. But yeah, you know, where does that fit in? Well, you 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 allowed yourself when you when you sort of had that unconscious thought or conscious thought that I can have a three-putt here and I'll have a point and I'll, and I'll achieve my goal and I'll walk away. As a four handicapper, you allow yourself the freedom to be mediocre mm. and you allow yourself the freedom not to engage and connect with what part you're trying to hit. Mm. So depend, not, not that that will always turn into a four-putt, but it depends on, on the green you're putting on and, and if it's a tough putt. Like, but we always have to try and lock in and engage with what we want to do because that's always going to improve the quality of poor putts or your misses. So that was more of a, an attitude mindset uh, type of a mistake where you had that, that, I would say, that average mindset. Sometimes I call it a champion's mindset when we're really engaged with what we want to do and we've got a chip shot from the front of the green and we're actually engaging with seeing the ball go in the hole and at what speed it's going to go in the hole that I call that a champion's mindset because that's what the champions do. So just because we're a four marker, a six marker, a 12 marker, doesn't mean we can't have a champion's mindset. It just might be as a 12 marker, instead of, you know, trying to see the ball go in the hole from 30 feet, we're seeing the ball go to the hole and have great speed and die within a three foot circle. Mm. You know, so it's um, it's well, just a little bit of a different sort of attitude and mindset that we have to have. I can tell you I didn't have a champion's mindset in that moment, but uh, I think that's a really valuable takeaway as well. You know, that that is a very good uh, mentality to approach every shot with and uh, another another great tip and a very easy to implement. Uh, just change, of, change the way you, you look and stand over every shot and how your brain is uh, thinking about that. So then yeah. I guess that's a little bit leading into our, our last point, you know, rigidity versus playfulness. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, how can you be playful on the green when you're finding it so stressful? Well, this is the thing about, uh, and again, anyone that's listened to, to, you know, any of the episodes will realise that I'm not a massive fan when it comes to players' routines that they're very rigid. I need to have two practice swings. I need to have two looks at the holes. I need to step in. Uh, you know, have four steps to step into the ball. All of that physiological component to a routine is just actually helps to trigger and activate stress, anxiety, and rigidity. So that takes away all of what playing golf should be about. So because we never have the same shot twice, and as I've said before, we should never really prepare the same way, okay? There's obviously boundaries to that, but um, rigidity is... I can remember doing a session with a client a few months back where they just had this little bit of a negative association to putting. And then once we just we had a you know, chat about it, I could see that every time they stepped onto the green, this sort of anxious, worry, concern, um, heavy feeling came over them because they didn't want to embarrass themselves by three putting or missing a short putt. Okay, so what we started to do is we just started to create a little bit of a different mindset, different attitude by coming up with a, a statement that we could anchor every time that they stepped onto the green. And it was 
I, th- I can't remember the exact statement, but it was it was revolved more around um, having fun, you know, rolling the ball on the green, just rolling the ball into the hole like, uh, you know, lawn bowls or we, 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 we grabbed something from their past that they would associate rolling with and all we did was we practised walking, standing off the green and then practised walking on the green, first foot would go on the green and they would actually say that statement about... I'm going to have fun rolling the ball on the green. And we got to hit, got him to hit some putts and then come back off the green, step on the green, and just start to create a bit of a different attitude and mindset um, around putting. And, and within literally within a couple of days, that new mindset started to, you know, really take over and they started to enjoy the art of putting. Um, but... When we look at rigidity in putting, we look at, you know, putters nowadays have got two, three lines, you know, balls have three lines on it. Um, Like that is all making us very rigid and also triggering a lot of our attention to be focused on the ball and the putter, which all we go back to the first point is only going to trigger that impact uh, control. So, you know, being a bit more playful with putting, uh, maybe not using the line for a little bit, um, not being so rigid with your strokes, just really feeling the, the, the ball go from point A to point B and just allowing your natural touch, natural flair and feeling to be more present. Um, and, uh, again, I had a, a session with a client from the US two, maybe three days ago who was playing a, a mini-tour event. He was a very feel-orientated player, very creative, and he has three lines on his ball. And I said, well, isn't that going against your natural sort of flair and feel? And he sort of, after a while, he's like, yeah, it does. And he actually sent me a message yesterday in, in the first round of a, uh, an all-pro tour event. Um, he shot 500 and had 24 putts. Wow. Um, and it was, he said he just felt freer, more freedom to just putt and just feel a putt as opposed to, being rigid and focused on trying to square the putter face up to his three lines or, you know, it's just so that's the thing that if we look at a lot of putting processes or putting practice, you know, string line stuff and um, the mirror, they're fantastic to ingrain a really good stroke, okay? And, and a good stroke is extremely important in putting. So I don't, I'm not saying to just have a, have a stroke that goes all over the place, but there is a time to train it and then there is a time to let go of it and trust it. Yeah. And I think that a lot of a lot of players are not, you know, club-level golfers, is, yeah, but also elite players are not separating the two where they yeah. train it and then they just go and trust it, just feel the putt. Because putting, you know, a lot of it is speed control. You know, speed control is a really important component to holding putts and also you know, from a putting statistic point of view, uh, limiting the number of putts you have in a round. So that rigidity versus um, being playful and having fun creating and, you know, not only letting the ball go in the left edge but picking a speed that it's going to fall in at, you know, getting as much of your attention out of the hole as you can. Um, but, you know, playfulness is, uh, is you know, a really important part of, uh, of good putting. 
there are those stories when you talk about playfulness and, and letting the ball die in holes at different positions. You know, you hear those stories about Tiger Woods and how he practices putting. You know, he he practices that. You know, he he sets a tee in the middle of the hole and tries to let the ball die one side and then the next putt the other side and all of that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah that's yeah. Th- I guess that's an example of having fun in in practice, and yeah. and yeah. everything that we've talked about today, super valuable. But as you said there before, you know, mirrors and technique. It, it doesn't mean that you don't have to still train technique and technique is a really important part of putting getting fitted for the right putter really important part of putting go out yeah. and see you know your pga pro if you want some technique training find one who is a great putter like mike Froney or whoever there's dozens of pga pros all around the world in australia yeah. or all around australia yeah. they will be able to help you because they're experts in technique and and maybe uh, the concepts that we're talking about here certainly you can. You're back coaching now, Jamie, aren't you? You're you're available. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. But it's a a really great point, Roscoe. That if I honestly had to say the percentage of people that would come to me and work on some of the yips, I would say it's almost a fifty percent of all those people. The yips is triggered by poor mechanics, mm. and the poor mechanics starts with them having to try and steer the putter to square it up to get the ball online which after a while is going to break down and then they have a negative association or relationship with putting, uh, stress and anxiety kick in and then and then the yips is accessed. So I would definitely say, first and foremost, make sure you've got a tidy stroke technically. Definitely go to your PGA Pro, get them to have a look at your, at your, at your stroke, get them to have a look at your putter, make sure that everything technically is in a good space. Then once that is is built, then you can start to apply some of these these mental components but i think again you know hopefully we've had some questions come in and hopefully we've answered a lot of those just through our discussion but one of the questions i wanted to just i suppose single out is uh the changing of grips during a round of golf is it you know is it acceptable to change grips if you're not feeling if you're not feeling good and and again it just goes back to the rigidity of 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 golf and the mental game and if you're feeling really crap with your standard grip then if you want to change and, and you think that change is going to help you to, to putt better, well, go for it. There's no right or wrong. Um, obviously, you know, I have some clients that putt cross-handed from inside 10 feet and then standard uh, normal conventional grip outside of that. Now, that's fine as well. You know, there's no right or wrong. I just think that um, consistency is the key. But having the little bit of flexibility, and we talk about the perimeters of performance, having a little bit of flexibility to adapt to different days, uh, different greens, um, I think that's ultimately, you know, important as well. So, um, you know, I think that uh, uh, that's why I love uh, allowing a lot of my clients to take control over some of these things and get them to tell me what feels good, what works well not being sort of so rigid in, no, no, you have to do this. So, um, yeah, I think that's an, an important point to uh, uh, to just, you know, I suppose uh, end, end today's podcast with is don't be so rigid, you know, just have fun playing and, and putting and feeling. And what you'll notice is if you allow yourself that freedom, a lot of the times you won't get to that uncomfortable feeling with your putting in any case. And you probably won't get to that feeling of needing to change grips mid-round. Well, mate, I'm blown away by 
you know, in the preparation for this discussion and just going through this once again, just what I've learned and what I'm going to be able to take out onto the golf course uh, next week. I will certainly be spending some time practicing some of the concepts and techniques that we've spoken about. I look forward to catching up with you on the golf course very soon. I'm glad that you're back out there coaching. Uh, it's sensational to see you busy and up and about and smiling face uh, on the screen there, mate. I love it. And uh, just to everyone that is listening and tuning in and providing the feedback and part of the Facebook uh, group that anyone is welcome to join and, and share some concepts and techniques and share some what's happening when they're in their golfing life. Uh, there's some great people contributing in there. We'd love to see you all in there. But, uh, you know, thanks for listening. You know, that's the most important point. Thanks for listening. And once again, if anyone's got any feedback, anything they'd like just to consider talking about, please always just drop us a note. Jamie? Have a great Thanks, day. Roscoe. You're you're all, all all okay with that? Yeah, that's great, mate. Thank you very much. And again, I just reiterate your points of uh, really appreciate everyone's uh, support, feedback. Uh, the private group is is fantastic. Just everyone's involvement and interaction. So uh, yeah, we obviously invite everyone to join that private Facebook group so we can interact. But um, yeah, happy putting, everyone. Enjoy just you know putting some of these concepts into practice. Be patient, proactively patient. I call it with with the change in, in, in patterns and the change in performance. Um, if, if some of you are struggling with your putting, just keep working away at it and then, uh, you know, as I said, proactively patient will uh, will help change those those patterns. Ah, beautiful. Mate, great catching up and uh, I look forward to catching up with you next week. And uh, once again, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by Dare to Dream. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and head over to daretodream.com.au for exclusive access to the free video program, Eight Tips to an Unbreakable Mental Game. Join us next time on the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast.